1: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy
2: and thanks for joining us on winningponies.com. I think we're going to have a great show this evening. A lot of interesting things happening in the world of racing including some late breaking news out of Keeneland. Uh first of all I'd like to thank uh, last week's guest uh Elliot Walden uh from Windstar Farm uh told us uh, a lot about the things that are going on and how those Farm is staying on the, the cutting edge of the information age uh, to bring new fans and owners uh, into the sport. Uh, just a, a real gentleman, a great guy. And uh, of course, on the handicapping segment, we had John McDoolin. And uh, I don't know if you wrote his picks down or not, but if so, uh, you cashed some uh, tickets. John went four for four on the races that we picked last week. This week. We've got two more solid guests. Uh, the first will be Jeff Johnston. Uh, Jeff is a key member of the, the Jockeys Guild. Uh, he started out riding illegally in the bush tracks of Iowa, and he went on to uh, winning several, several riding titles uh, in, in the Midwest. And uh, so Jeff's going to be with us to tell us about some of the things that, that are going on uh, with the Jockey Guild uh, in the sport of thoroughbred racing. And then our handicapping guest this week will be Jeremy Plonk. Uh, who has uh, quite the resume. I mean, uh, you've probably seen him if you uh, read about uh, racing at all. He, he's penned more than 300 columns uh, for ESPN.com. Uh a very respected handicapper, and of course, he is now uh, part of the team with uh, Joe Christofek that we had on several weeks ago, uh, and putting together uh, the very creative fan education program Night School. They've been very active of late. I had a chance to see uh, both uh, Jeremy and Joe down at Keeneland last week, so I'm looking forward to that uh, part of the program. Uh, Let's get on to uh, news of the week. Another rough week uh, for jockeys and uh, one for the Jockey Guild, uh, uh, Larry Samuel. Uh, a lot of people remember him. Uh, he's a former rider, and he was a Jockey's Guild rep, too. Uh, he died this week. He was only 54. Uh, he had had uh, health issues with his heart, and uh, he passed away uh, in his sleep. Uh, just recently, he kind of switched over and started to become a jockey agent, and he say he was just uh, getting pretty good at it. Um, he... Uh, Rode from 73 through 99, uh, won uh, over 2,000 races. Uh, his courses won purses, totaling $25 million. Uh Folks from the East Coast will remember him. Uh, New Jersey, Maryland, Florida was mostly a circuit. He also rode in Kentucky. Uh, he won over 250 stakes wins, and if you go back to 1988, you might remember he rode Cephas to win the Pennsylvania Derby for Woody Stevens. So uh, we, will, uh, we will miss uh, Larry Samuel. Uh, looks like uh, Jockey Eddie Castro is going to be on the sidelines for a while. We're looking at a minimum of three months after he sustained a hairline fracture of his back in a spill Saturday at Belmont Park. Uh, young, tough guys. Castro is only 26. It's not going to require surgery, uh, but he's going to have to wear a back brace for a period of time. Uh, he's going to be released uh, from the hospital, was released from the hospital, I should say, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, so, uh, you know, he was having a really solid year, uh, had over uh, 119 wins. Um, his purse earnings were over the $6 million mark, which put him 15th in the country. Uh, According to the stats that we have, uh, this year alone, Castro won four grade one races, including the Wood Memorial on Toby's Corner, the Acorn and Coaching Club Oaks on It's Tricky, and the United Nations at Monmouth on Teaks North. Uh, up in the uh, hinterlands of Canada, it looks like they're going to lose one of their top riders for a while, uh, Jackie Eureka Rosa da Silva. You may recall he won the 2009 and 2010 Queens Plate with Eye of the Leopard and uh, Big Red Mike. He's going to be out for the rest of the 2011 season after an incident in the Cup and Saucer stakes at Woodbine last week. Uh, he sustained a slight fracture above his ankle and was kicked by another horse during the running of the Cup and Saucer. Um, His agent said it's going to take about four to six weeks to heal, but they're saying, well, the season's about over. Uh, We're going to uh, just pack it up, and we'll come back in the beginning of the year. Uh, Close call for Gabriel Sayes uh, down at Keeneland. Uh, He was... Aboard a two-year-old that looked like he was making a really nice move, uh, there was an accidental clip of the heels and he went down with Irish Exchange and uh, really hit the ground pretty hard, rolled quite a bit. Uh, you could see uh, that, that that he was in pain. Uh, one of the first people out there was trainer Larry Jones uh, attending to him, uh, the horse who slightly was pinned under the rail because some quick-thinking vets and uh, other personnel got him out. The horse popped up. Larry Jones took the horse around the uh, curtain that they often put up when there's an accident to show the the, the public uh, that uh, Irish Exchange was just fine, and uh, a big round of applause from all the fans at, at Keeneland. Uh, so uh, it was it was good to see that the, the horse was not hurt, and Sayaz is already back up and uh, winning races. Um not winning races, working horses out at Keeneland. So he's he's going to be just fine from what I understand. Now, speaking of Keeneland, they've had pretty good weather most of the season, but they've had some solid rains the last couple of days. And obviously what that's done has really tightened up the poly track. Today they had no less than three new track records. Uh, one came in the uh, the Sycamore uh, that was won by uh, Sanagas in, in, in track record time uh, for uh, the uh, mile and a half on the turf was changed to a mile and five eighths, and so uh, we had a track record there, and uh, there were two other track records on the day, which makes a total of five track records have fallen during the first 10 days of Keeneland's 17-day meet. Uh, so, uh, obviously, uh, things uh, getting tightened up down there, a very fast poly track in Kentucky. Uh, well, uh, news from across the pond, we've been talking about this horse on winningponies.com for weeks. He's unbelievable. Frankel won its ninth straight win in the QE2 over there. Uh, this horse is is. is unbeaten. This was not an easy race. The QE2 had four other Group 1 winners uh, in the field. Uh, Now, of course, the win in this race, uh, it was a a $1.5 million race, the Queen Elizabeth II uh, earned him a trip to the Breeders' Cup, but trainer Henry Cecil says he won't be making the trip, that it's been a long year, and he was looking forward to a winter of getting him rested. He's a champion, he's out of the ordinary, and he's going to come back. So, uh, this is not the first time Cecil has won the race. Uh, he won it back in 1979 with Chris. And uh, what's kind of cool is after the race, they took Frankel out of the winner's circle and had him take a victory lap around the parade ring, and I guess the the crowd just absolutely went wild. Again, uh, this horse was named after the late trainer Bobby Frankel, who trained for Judmont Farm, and the horse is owned by Prince Khalid Abdullah of Judmont Farm. All right, back here a little bit uh, closer to home, we've got some more uh, news that's getting us close to the Breeders' Cup. And uh, Uncle Mo just sizzled in a five furlong workout uh, for the breeders' Cup classic uh, on Sunday. Johnny Velasquez was up uh, he, he went uh, three furlongs in thirty five and two, and he finished out in this five furlong work the last quarter in twenty two and four. His uh, stablemate stayed thirsty, worked four furlongs and Forty-eight and four, uh, both of them being pointed to the Breeders' Cup Classic. It's still hard to believe that they're not going to separate these two horses from the from the same stable, but uh, that 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 is exactly what's going to happen. Um, you know, when you when you think about it, this really, just the last couple of years, what an era it's been uh, for some great fillies, uh, the fillies versus the boys. Uh, we've got uh, Harve de Grasse, of course, uh, Rachel Alexandra and Zenyatta. And uh, now there's a new girl on the scene, uh, the French filly Sarah Lynx. Uh, she dominated over the boys in the Canadian International. I mean, this was just a packed field. Talk about international. The race actually looked like a European uh race, the way it was run, everybody being patient, the, the field was packed, uh, and uh, they were very well bunched. Even the announcer said it's a cavalry charge as they straightened for home. Well, uh, Sarah Lynx just waited and waited and uh, slipped through along the rail, found room, and uh, by winning the International, as a Breeders' Cup winning in, it looks like she'll be going to the Breeders' Cup turf on November 5th at Churchill Downs. Uh, out on the West Coast, upset time in the Oak Tree Derby, it was uh, Ultimate Eagle who took that at 34-1. It was the stakes debut for, for Ultimate Eagle. Uh, trainer Michael Pender said that this was going to be our Kentucky Derby horse before he got as too. So this horse really had a setback, uh, but came back and scored his first stakes win. Uh, we had a couple of uh, guys uh, from Kentucky go down to uh, Florida and have success this week. Uh, it was... Uh, Trainer Jeff Thornberry and John Court. Uh, they took the Spendabuck handicap, and uh, Mad Flatter was the name of the horse. As a matter of fact, they won this race last year by uh, six and a quarter lengths. Not as easy this year. They had to run down an odds-on choice and Mambo Meister, but they did pull away uh, to win by a length. Uh, how about uh, Edgar Prado? They just announced last week that he is going to move his tack to Kentucky. Well, ever since uh, moving his tack uh, and on the Kentucky circuit, he has absolutely been on fire. Uh, Prado started out, it was about three weeks ago, um, where uh, he, he won the Windstar Classic. Uh, then he uh, goes down to Keeneland, and in a game effort uh, gets up by a nose to win the, the Phoenix Stakes. And now he goes all the way out to Remington Park and wins with Redeem. He closed real fast to win the Oklahoma Derby by a head. Uh, had a nice buyer speed figure of 95. Uh, he'll probably head back uh, with uh, Tony Dutrow to New York. Uh, it was the first time he tried two turns, and he also added blinkers. So uh, redeemed uh, could be another horse on the rise. I know Prado uh, thought he was uh, very impressive, certainly a horse that was bred to go the distance. And then let's not uh, leave out uh, our favorite horse for course, Rapid Redo. Yep, went back down to the race book on Friday and got to watch him win number 8. He's only one win away now from tying Zenyatta and Pepper's Pride. They didn't make it easy on him. He had one horse cook him for, oh, the first six furlongs pretty well. And after that horse uh, dropped out, that was Working Man Blues, uh, Smiling Jordan, who surprisingly was 2-1, to one. his Rapid Redo was 1-5, to five, uh, made a big move on him. But, man, Rapid Redo just loves Charlestown and, and, and pulled away uh, steadily. Okay, well, if you were tuned in to Winning Ponies last week, let's review the four races that we looked at uh, with him. Handicapper John McDoolan who again went four for four. He's going to make it tough on Jeremy Plunk. Uh, we picked a couple state-bred programs, uh, and uh, obviously uh, John had his, uh, his finger on the pulse uh, in the uh, Best of Ohio Endurance, the mile-and-a-quarter race. Of course, uh, the Ohio Superman cat launch was in there. He set the lead but just couldn't hold it, and getting the uh, – Top spot was That's a Heck of a Cat, a horse that's uh, stabled at River Downs. So congratulations to a trainer uh, Dougie Collins and the connections of That's a Heck of a Cat. Cat Launch, though, who became one of uh, racing's newest millionaires this year. Uh, the 10-year-old Ohio bred did stick around for the second spot, and Bold Captain picked up the show prize. Then we uh, went to the Best of Ohio Sprint, and... Uh, came away with the, the winner sneak a cold treat sneak a cold treat uh, almost won this race last year was favored but faltered to run second and but now made it three in a row this horse absolutely is a horse for course has now won 11 of his 14 victories at thistledown that was in the, the best of ohio sprint and then we uh, kind of stuck with with another state bred only the state we went to is west virginia and the breeders cup classic and uh we talked about cat launch being the ohio superman well i guess you could say russell road is west virginia's superman um we, we couldn't get away from this horse. We knew he'd be favored, uh, and, and uh, he, he was. I believe he we went off about six to five. Uh, it's the second time in his career that he won uh, the West Virginia Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, he, uh, he won it two years ago, didn't win it last year, um, but uh, he became now racing's newest millionaire with this victory over nine rivals. He's got 1.1% million dollars in the bank. And again, we talk about Horses for Courses, Russell Road at Charlestown now has 18 victories from 27 starts. And from West Virginia, we went to Keeneland, the the Queen Elizabeth Challenge Cup, and uh, Johnny Mack said together, was a horse to to do it, together, kind of set uh, history here, ran back to back grade ones at Keeneland. Yes, ran only a week ago uh the uh, English trainer Aiden O'Brien not afraid to uh, to run together right back uh, this horse ran a strong second to never retreat in the grade one first lady. Uh, came right back and uh, did not disappoint. Uh, like Frankel, this horse is by Galileo, so it'll be very interesting to uh, watch the career of Together. She's only a three-year-old filly, has now won uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. It'll be very interesting. Somersori tried to steal this race but just couldn't do it. Marketing Mix ran second. Together is one to watch. Well, folks, that pretty much wraps up a lot of the news on the national racing scene, at least as much as I could get in in the first segment. Coming up next from the Jockeys Guild, good friend of mine and one sharp guy, Jeff Johnston will be our guest on winningponies.com.
3: chip station for sports voice america
0: sports and they're off what
3: can't
1: make it to the track
3: Your internet flagship station for sports, VoiceMark is sports.
2: All right, welcome back. And with me right now, representing the the Jockey Guild, is is Jeff Johnston. You learn something new about a guy every day. I mean, uh, I, I've known Jeff for many years, but what I didn't know is that he, that he was an illegal rider, riding when he was only twelve years old at the bush tracks back in Iowa. Uh, then, when he did turn sixteen, uh, he won his first race in Nebraska. At uh, Queen City Downs in Hastings, Nebraska, Uh, Jeff kind of migrated uh, towards Kentucky, and uh, he graduated uh, from the uh, University of Louisville uh, with a uh, Bachelor of Science degree with also the uh, degree in equine administration. Uh, Right now he's the regional manager Midwest, but I'll tell you what, they kind of stretched that word Midwest out. In addition to Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, they also count New York and New Jersey as part of the Midwest. Jeff, how you doing? They're spreading you kind of thin there on the Guild, aren't they?
4: Uh, it is. It's a lot of work. It's, it's not so bad this time of year because some of the, the tracks, you know, Minnesota and Iowa have shut down, but they keep me plenty busy with um, Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio runs year-round, New York, and then New Jersey, so, it, yeah, it's... I'm
2: spread pretty thin, but enjoy my work. Well, and obviously uh, this past week and uh, three weeks from now, you're not going to have to go too far from home. You live in northern Kentucky because uh, a lot of the people you represent are going to be at uh, Churchill Downs that first weekend.
4: Well, it is nice, and Keeneland especially. It's the spring and fall at Keeneland. Guys come in from all over, and I get to see them and hear what's going on and any complaints that they have. At their home tracks, and that kind of helps me establish my next month's calendar to figure out what tracks I really need to focus on and see if there's some potential problems that I need to address. So between between Keeneland and and then the Breeders' Cup coming up, yeah, I get to see a, a lot of my friends, hear a lot about what's going on in all parts of the country, and it helps me set my agenda.
2: Well, listen, I got some some questions for you about. Uh some items that are going to come up here here in America soon. But Before we do, you know, I always hear about these Cajun riders uh, coming up in the bush ca- tracks from Louisiana. I didn't know they had bush tracks out in Iowa. Is, is it kind of like the Casey Shadow thing? Uh, well, what are the bush tracks like out there? I mean, do people just kind of bet amongst each other and stuff, or is it just a kind of an unrecognized meet?
4: You know, it, it was. This is pre par Mutual in Iowa, and they had a couple. There were three tracks that I remember. One was the major track that ran... They'd have like six race meets, six or seven race meets throughout the year. It was um, mostly all quarter horses, but it was it was established by the Iowa Quarter Horse Racing Association, so they were kind of structured meets. There was no wagering on them other than they, they'd do a Calcutta. Um, but they would have, on some days, eight or nine races, highly competitive, very entertaining. Um, we've had some... Some other riders go on to meet success in what you call the big leagues of of quarter horse or thoroughbred racing, and on the big days there, they would have riders come in from Los Alamitos and Rio and and uh, Blue Ribbon Downs to ride in some of those little, you know, little stakes races. So it, it was it was highly entertaining, highly educational,
2: and I credit it to to my start in the sport. Well, speaking of educational, quite frankly, you can probably count on one hand in most jock's rooms how many guys came out of there w- with a college degree. Did you put your riding career on on a hold uh, to to go to U of L?
4: Well, I, I did somewhat. I I was making the transformation from quarter horses to thoroughbreds uh, when Iowa started running. And they went through after two years, they were in a spot where they were closing down the racetrack there. And I was going to school at that time. I was riding at Prairie Meadows and going to school at Iowa State University. So I was going to school during the day, riding during the evening at the after my first three years of college, the track closed down, and i was I was using riding to pay for my education. So I was at the point where I needed to either quit writing and focus on college or move my, my credits to a college where I could do both at the same time, which was the perfect fit was Louisville, where I enrolled in the business college down there, switched my accounting major to a business administration major, and went to work on the farms and at Churchill um, and, and moved solely – or
2: to thoroughbred racing. Well, it was obviously very successful because uh, I've I've watched you win uh, numerous uh, stakes races uh, in the Midwest and and also get leading rider honors twice at at meets in the Midwest. Um, Let's uh, move on a little bit now. Uh, There's just a couple things. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I've been reading a lot about some things that are happening, and I don't know if it's going to migrate from Europe over to North America. Now, I know that some places have gone to the new lighter kind of pop whip, but now they're instituting over in Europe that in the final, you can only hit a horse, I believe, seven times and only, I think, five times in the final furlong. I know a lot of jockeys would be out of work if that happened in North America. Did you see that happening over here? You know, it's correct
4: what they've done in, in Europe, and, and we've focused on whip use in the U.S. the last, say, five years or so. And especially since I've been with the Guild, we've worked closely with the Association of Racing Commissioners International to work on developing model rules that the riders are are in the riders' best interest and the best interest of the industry as a whole. And one of those issues has been the whip use. And and England has, has always been the leaders in the whip use and regulations. They were the ones who introduced the, the new soft or padded crop. Um, when the issue came up here in the States, we uh, there was some disagreement that, that there was anything wrong with the rules as they were, but I think we agreed in the best interest of racing that we should m- move to the padded crop, which is, if you've ever seen one, a, a very, very soft, humane um, tool. And although the jockeys were strongly against getting rid of the whip at all, they, they grew accustomed to using these new padded crops. We are having, still having some problems with durability of them. They're very costly. They're expensive. They don't hold up very well, especially in the, 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 the United States racing. Um, you know, we run on dirt, we run in mud where in U.K. it's mostly on turf or synthetic surfaces, right. which don't wear on the, the leather as much. So we are having some problems with durability, but we do agree that you know it probably is best for the sport to have a humane crop. Um, what I think, I just read, I, I partially read the full study from England last week, and I think what that study shows is that the, the public... You know, there's always going to be a part of the public that doesn't want any whips used in racing, and you're not going to change their mind. But there's another population that feels they see the horses being whipped, but they don't understand that they're being whipped with a padded crop, and it doesn't really hurt them. It stimulates them, but there's no pain involved. There's no welts. There's no cuts. There's no bruises. It's just a tool to get the horses going. So it doesn't matter if you hit them uh, two times or a dozen times. It's, It's not... It's not injuring the animal.
5: Right, and, and I think a lot of times... what they found I mean, in that
4: would... study is the, once they educated the people that they didn't have as bad of a view of using the whip. Um, that being said, the rules that they put in place there with fines up to, you know, the full 100% of the riding fee plus, plus um, days has created quite a stir with with the volume being fined eighty-three thousand dollars for one extra tap of the whip. That's insane. Not that in my much, book.
2: yeah. Karen Fallon had had a lot to do with it. I'm on one of the sites I, I went to there, and the guy that won the Canadian uh, International, Christophe uh, uh, he he's going to lose a, a, a ton of money too. But listen, I don't want to. I don't want to stay on the whip because I've only got a couple minutes here yet. Uh, this summer and really throughout the year, it seems like I keep I pull up stories all over on the net, and it just seems like the guild is just staying so active, and, and that you guys have really taken uh, uh, more of a high visibility in the sport. And my hats off to the guild for doing that.
4: Well, we we really want to get the jockeys. We really want to work with the industry, and we want to make racing popular again. And we think that the jockeys can play a vital role in that. Um, we do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of times that jockeys are doing things in the public that aren't getting headlines. Um, we do a lot of stuff for charities. We do a lot of stuff with hospitals, children's hospitals. The, the Naira Colony is great about visiting, doing charity basketball games. Uh, you know, whatever we can do to bring racing into the limelight and get get exposure. And we try and we want to work with the racetracks. We do autograph signings all over. Keeneland's been wonderful about setting up, setting up autograph signings. And the Guild is vital in, in educating the riders of why that's important to for them to be out there and making the best, the most of their time. Getting them to attend the events, getting them to understand what the events are for, introducing them to the general public, just getting them them to talk to the public and getting the public involved knowing that these are, you know, these are average people that are wonderful athletes doing, um, you know, a very dangerous job. And we want to work with the tracks to, to expose these guys and get it, get, you know, really make the industry popular again.
2: Yeah, I don't know if if, if, if those guys know that really at every level, uh, not just your top riders at at Keeneland and Santa Anita in New York, uh, they really are admired and looked up to uh, by the the audience in general. I mean, uh, I'll I'll look at River Downs and see uh, somebody like a pair of hand a pair of goggles to some little kid. And, you know, he may have made that kid a racing fan for the rest of his life.
4: Well, and, and that's one of our keys. And we all the time we have riders that are either asked to come by elementary schools or high schools to come for career day. I've done it myself on multiple occasions. You go in and you take the goggles in and you show them the equipment that you use. And I still have people, kids, come up to me today from Alex's class and say, I remember when you came and spoke to us in, you know, in first grade. <laughs> and I love going to the track now, or I always ask my dad to take me to the track with him, or my dad, you know we hadn't gone yet, but it really does help to get to get the exposure out there, and the jockeys can play a key role in that, and we really want to work with with the race tracks and the racing industry to try and do what we can to help get the word out
2: well it uh you know it really is I guess all of us have to be ambassadors for the sport, but you know the horses can't talk. Uh, jockeys can and and I really do think that that you guys can can have a fantastic influence uh, as, as you know uh, i 'm a huge fan of jockeys have uh, the utmost respect i mean it 's the only job where an ambulance follows you to work literally um, and uh, I have to uh, take my hat off to you and a lot of the great strides that I know that that you've made in uh, Moving, the moving the guild forward uh continue and try to enhance membership and and again it, it, it's all about safety. When those guys go in the starting gate, we want to make sure uh, everybody get, gets home safe, and uh, you and, and Terry Meeks and the other guild reps a, have all done a great job, and I'm sure we're all saddened by uh, the, the passing of uh, Larry Samuel, uh, who left us this week. As a matter of fact, I remember having dinner with you and Larry down in uh, Louisville when the Breeders' Cup was there a couple years ago. So, Jeff, I just I want to thank you so much for all your efforts and, and for being with us on winningponies.com tonight. Thanks, John. All right. Uh, When we come back, we're going to break down the uh, handicapping portion of the show with the one and only Jeremy Plonk, who's been handicapping from coast to coast to give you the most on winningponies.com.
3: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice of America Sports. Do you feel the need for speed?
1: Whatever your addiction, NASCAR, IndyCar, NHRA, Formula One, or even a lot more racing, Pit Pass USA has got you covered. Larry Henry here, host of Pit Pass USA. I put my 30-plus years of being a motorsports broadcaster to work to bring you not only the best guests, but also the most interesting guests in racing. Pit Pass USA with Larry Henry, your front row seat to the world of racing, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Borgs America Sports Channel. Be there or get a DNF.
0: Play ball! If you're looking to talk baseball, even in the offseason, look no further than the King's Corner Talking Baseball with former World Series champion Jim Leyritz. Jim's known for a rather controversial stance during his show. He's brutally honest and ready to talk with current and former players, owners, and other key figures to bring you baseball from an insider's view. You won't want to miss a single episode. The King's Corner Talking Baseball. Small with Jim Laritz is heard every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel.
3: Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
2: Alright, and, and with me coming up is going to be Jeremy Plonk and I'll tell you what, uh, like I said if, if you know how to read it all and you like racing you've read this guy. Now now either Jeremy is an extremely talented individual or he can't hold a job very long. Uh, <laughs> he's written for uh, ESPN.com, the Associated Press, FoxSports.com, the Daily Racing Forum, the Blood Horse, uh, BreedersCup.com, NTRA. Uh, I used to read him a lot in, in Horseplayer Magazine uh, and uh, I mean he's, he's been a track handicapper. He's worked for Equibase. Uh, he uh, was a handicapper for the Racing Network. Uh, you know, uh, he works on the Derby Notes team. There's not much uh, that this guy hasn't done in the game as far as covering it as a journalist. And most importantly, At the future is that he's laying the groundwork through fan education, uh, with the the new, this new concept of night school. We touched on it a couple weeks ago with his partner Joe Christofix. So with all of that said, ladies and gentlemen,
5: I introduce to you Jeremy Plonk. Jeremy, how you doing? Uh, great to be here, John. That's a, It's a long resume, and for a while there, I guess, when you're younger, you're moving up through and you're doing stuff one year at a time, but uh, there's some more longevity attached to things as we go along here, but it's a freelance world, and I think anybody who's worked in racing knows that... Uh, uh, a lot of places have downsized and they've gone to consultants and they've gone to people on the outside to help them with various projects and, and I've been fortunate and worked really hard and, uh, uh, you know, I've been able to, uh, do a lot of interesting things over the years and, and each one of them leads to the next. That's the wonderful thing is this game is, uh, it's intoxicating. The more you get, uh, involved in one area of it, the more you want to learn about another area of it and it's, uh, You know, it's the most fascinating thing I've ever done. I tried to, I tried to get out of racing for one year back uh, around 2000 after I got married and became a sports information director um, on the NCAA Division III level. And I did that for one year, and I said, "This is insane. I've got to get back to racing. This is, this is too much work." So uh, I love the racing game, so it doesn't feel like work. Well, and, and it, it
2: comes through in your writing, and it comes through in your voice, and uh, I, I picked up a, a blog about a week ago, and here, you, I, know, I know you've been working really hard down at Keeneland with Joey Decay, and uh, on your day off, you go ahead, and where do you go but to the Kentucky Horse Park to visit some old friends?
5: Yeah, it was, uh, it was a nice experience. I uh, brought my family down with me from Keeneland. I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, we had a chance to work uh, two weeks for NBC and Versus doing stuff on their broadcasts. Uh, so it was a chance to get down to Keeneland and have a week off in between uh, where I could just kind of do some stuff for the track and have a few days off here and there. And we went out to the horse park on Monday. It was just a fascinating, uh, wonderful time. Got to see Funny Side and Cigar and Haas and, and I'm a Quarter Horse fan, too. i uh, followed Quarter Horses for a long time, so uh, Bia Bono, the great Quarter Horse, was there at the Kentucky Horse Park as well, so really fun. If you get a chance and you're in Lexington, that's a place you have to go by. One of the cleanest, most best-kept properties you've ever seen.
2: Absolutely. I'm a frequent visitor and a big fan, and it's neat yeah, because... You know, while we're kind of entrenched, you know, in, in the racing world, uh, there's so much beauty on display there with, with all of the other breeds. Uh, you become a horse lover just instantly. There's a, and great, the museum itself is a great, you know, historic, uh, uh collection and uh you know the things that the fact that horses go all the way back to prehistoric foxes you know right. I tell, i'll tell people that they tell me i'm crazy it's like well don't believe me go on to the horse park you can find out well enough about the hype and them let's hype a little bit of uh of night school and horse player now you put out a really nice for free uh fall meat statistical preview of uh of of Keeneland and uh, you you broke you broke it down. I mean, a big part of it too is it's interesting how you know years ago we looked for mud sires and turf sires, and now you're, you're uh, kind of cleaning out the uh, polytrack sires, uh, unbridled song, tail the cat, giants causeway. I, I think one that might be on the move is is stormy Atlantic. But you really put together a, a great statistical preview, Jeremy.
5: Well, I appreciate that, uh, and it's all derived from the the free PolyCapping database, that. Keeneland uh, asked me back in, I guess, about 2008 to put something together to try to figure out what was going on with the Polytrack. And that's why I really like Keeneland. Because, the, you know, they knew the perceptions were there that people thought the the surface was unhandicappable at, begin, at the beginning, and, and they took a lot of flack in the press for it. And they did something proactive. They came to me and said. What do you need to try to figure this thing out as a handicapper? So they provided every set of past performances for every race the first two years at the track, every chart, everything that needed to be done, and we started digging into it. We tried to figure out what's going on here, and we started putting everything into a spreadsheet so I could figure out what was going on. Well, after I told them, you know, here's my report, here's what I think, and that sort of thing like that, I said, look, we've got this database started now. You should give this to the public every day for free. I mean, if they want to handicap what's going on at your track and know the trends and things like that, make it available for free. They had to do a little work with Equibase and the Jockey Club to, you know, get permission to do it and that sort of thing. But that's how the polycapping database, which is free at Keeneland.com, has come about. And I use it to handicap every single race I handicap at Keeneland. I wish every track had something like that. You know, if I just want to go, if I was playing Belmont and I just want to look at two-year-old races on the turf, in two clicks on an Excel spreadsheet, I could tell you every sire who sired a winner on the turf. Uh, That would be fantastic, and that would be a wonderful handicapping tool. Unfortunately, a lot of the um, you know a lot of the data is owned by uh, various you know uh, Equibase and Racing Form and things like that. So you get into some issues, but I think it's a wonderful tool, and and it goes to show how proactive Keeneland can be. And that's where that whole process, that whole preview, every fact in that thing was derived from the exact same spreadsheet that came um, from that original research that's now being updated after every single race.
2: Well, all right. Well, I'm going to have to put your feet to the fire right now because I want to start breaking down some handicapping. We'll do two races, take a break, and do two more, and we're going to go right to where you've been for the last uh, a week week or ten days, and that is at Keeneland. Uh, seven furlongs is the Lexus Raven Run. It's a grade two. It, it kind of looks like the East versus West. Uh, Chantel Sutherland will make only her second appearance at, at Keeneland uh, on a horse that's coming out of a solid race, the one lady's secret uh where uh zazu won and uh blind luck ended her career and then you've got another local lady uh, greta Kunzweiler, uh, on groupie doll who just missed in the charlestown oaks after kind of getting shuffled back early um and then you've got question mark horses like uh, roman treasure who just looks really solid but has never won on poly track
5: uh i don't know where, where are you going with this one well, you got a field of 13, so you don't get that too often in a grade two stakes. Uh, you know, luckily for a field of 13, it's a seven-furlong race where trip may not be that big of a deal because you have such a long run into the one and only turn. You know, a two-turn race, a field of 13 can be a lot of trouble. In a six-furlong sprint, you miss the break and you might be done and that sort of thing in a big field. So at least with a big field, you've got a great handicapping uh, and wagering opportunity. At the same time, it should be a fairly fair run race uh, as much as you can get with a field of 13. Now, I'm, I'm leaning to a filly who didn't run well last time out. She might have bounced. Her name's Funny Sunny. Uh, she looked like a rising star coming up after her two big races uh, at Gulfstream here in the spring, or back in the late winter, I should say, before spring broke, a 10-length winner at Gulfstream. Uh, she, had, she had some time off. Bob Hess brought her back at Saratoga. She ran a bang-up race. She should have won on the turf at Saratoga, going five and a half, and then came back and laid an egg in the victory ride. But she's trained really well since then. Uh, her grandsire is Distorted Humor, who's as good a sprint sire on polytrack as you can get. She's by Sharp Humor, who again is the son of Distorted Humor, and I think that's a pedigree play that's really going to translate well to the seven furlong distance on the polytrack. And again, Hess has her training exceptionally well, uh, fifty-eight and one second fastest of thirty-one just a couple days ago. And I think uh, Funny Sunny's a horse who's going to be a price ten to one on the line. I think you might even get a little bit more than that, and, and can be great value. The, the two ladies you talked about, Chantel Sutherland and Greta Kunzweller, I think they're two mounts for the other horses uh, the, that really deserve a lot of consideration, Great Hot and Groupie Doll. Great Hot's probably the horse to beat off of those races in California, but she's been running two turns a lot, you know, and, and she hasn't sprinted since the one sprint race back in March. Um, she should get a decent pace set up. There's, there's speed in this race, but it's not a race that looks like it's going to completely melt down uh, based on the horses that are in the field. So I think the race will be won from off the pace to how far off the pace That'll be the key if Great Hot can stay close enough and stay in contention. Groupie Doll's fantastic. I mean, her three wins in a row that she paired together at Churchill and Ellis were great. Her best race may have been her loss at Charlestown. If you've ever watched races, I grew up in the Mid-Atlantic going to Charlestown every Friday and Saturday night, I think in my life, <laughs> uh, until I graduated high school. And you just don't see horses close from ten lengths back there on that bull ring and run second to a horse like Strike the Moon. That was a fantastic effort in the Charlestown Oaks. Uh, for Groupie Doll last time. So take nothing away from her form. She very well could be riding a four-race win streak if she didn't fall so far back uh, early in that race at Charlestown. She's training well um, coming into this race. And so I think, you know, five four two if you're looking at it from a number situation, and uh, there's a lot of different ways you can go in that race. Ms. Direction's the morning line favorite. I'm not quite so sure she's the best as a sprinter. I think she's a better miler, uh, but she's got to take a lot of action. The Jim Rome connection, uh, Garrett Gomez. So I think Ms. Direction will get played a lot, but I'll, t- I'll try to beat her. I've got her listed fourth best in the race.
2: Well, also, you know, you've got uh, two horses that could easily jump up and win this win this race. Misdirection being one of them, but it's a surface question. I mean, this horse is coming off four straight turf races, and then Strike the Moon, who did win the Charlestown Oaks, uh, has never won on a synthetic track. So it's a wide open race, like you said. Luckily, we're going to get to see a lot of horses go. Well, I got about two minutes now to send you down south, my friend, and go to the Jean Lafitte at Delta Downs. This is a mile. Uh, this is a setup for a, a big race down the road. Kind of interesting. Got a lot of horses that are coming off some, uh, you know, some top or winning efforts. But a lot of them were in restricted races. They're Louisiana breds. Obviously, you're, you're going to find those horses racing at Delta Downs. Um, does that uh, does that uh, take some of the polish off the apple and, and maybe open up the door for like a horse like Maya Donis, the Kentucky bred that's run, running at Monmouth that just ran a bang up race?
5: Yeah, I would think that, you know, the, the locals will have a little bit of edge running on the track, running under the lights, but they've got to be an exceptional local, I think, to beat one of the good out-of-town horses, and I think you've got a pretty good out-of-town horse here in Mayadana. if I, You know, the three good seconds at Monmouth, a couple behind eventual stakes horses, and then the breakout win last time. Don't overemphasize that last win on a muddy track. I mean, horses win in blowout fashion on muddy and wet tracks all the time. There's nothing that, you know, skews form more than a blowout win in the slop, but those good seconds at Monmouth uh, behind horses like Sabercat and... Chief Energy and Scallion, uh, those are good horses. So I, I think Mayadonis will be set up nice. Kelly Breen has brought horses down to Delta before to win the big races, so he knows that routine. He's trying to get a prep in for the Delta jackpot coming up in December, and I, and I think he's got the right one. Mayadonis should win that race. Uh, there is a local who I think has got a, a pretty good shot in there, and that's Top Cat Boogie. We're in a really, really good race in the uh, Sunday Silence showing a lot of speed from the outside that day. Better drawn, back on the dirt, and horses won on the dirt against Statebreds, of course. But uh, uh, I think that race in the Sunday sideline to get to open company, a horse named Gung Ho, who came back to run in the grade one at Keeneland, uh, you know, that was a pretty good field. And, and Top Cat Boogie would be the best of the locals for me. But I think My Adonis will lay over that field probably and then move on to the Delta jackpot.
2: All right, great minds think alike. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break right here. When we come back, we're going to travel to Laurel Park and then to the Windy City at Race at Hawthorne. Thanks for tuning in to winningponies.com. Hold on, we got Jeremy Plonk doing the capping.
3: Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports.
1: And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com. The home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races,
0: don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Fantasy sports is where the action really is. Over 40 million people play fantasy sports, but rarely do they get to quiz the experts. Fantasy Insights is the name and the game.
2: All right, and with handicapper Jeremy Plunk, I'll tell you what, we're going to come up right now to the Frank J. DeFrancis Memorial Dash. And, you know, I really like kind of longer meets. You know, I don't really uh start betting – at my own track until maybe a couple weeks have gone and I've seen what's happening. But boy, it's nice to compare apples to apples. You sure can't do that in the Francis Memorial Dash here. Uh, I mean, you've, you've got horses coming in from Presque Isle, uh, Keeneland, Parks, Laurel, Mountaineer, Belmont, I mean, uh, Delaware. This is a tough bunch. I'm, I'm throwing this one on your lap. I had a hard time separating them. Though there is a millionaire in Rivallo that uh, might go to the head of the class.
5: Yeah, I like Ravallo. He's my top pick in the race. I think his last two were really good. The race out at Remington, I didn't think he had a shot on paper. were uh, some good horses coming in from California and around the country and that was a really good sprint field for two hundred thousand in the Remington Sprint Cup and Ravallo ran a bang up race. Then he came back and ran a winning race in the Prescott Mile and just got a little late on the end there. Uh, wise Dan, who's just freakishly good when he's on his game, uh, won that day. And I think Ravallo comes in off of two really good efforts. He's training well. I know his trainer, Don Barr, told Mike Gaffigan at uh, Laurel that he wasn't really happy about having the rail. Uh, so it'll be up to Jeremy Rose to try to work out a trip there because the horse isn't super fast from the gate but does have a little fee- uh, speed if they press the gas pedal. I think Ravallo's the horse to beat. He's not going to make the front, though, because of moral eyes is fast. I mean, this is a really good four-and-a-half furlong horse. I don't know if he can go the entire six. On Preakness Day, he almost did and almost upset Ventana. Uh, Ventana would probably be favored in this race. So if Immortal Life can run that back, uh, race back at Laurel, uh, he would be awful tough to to run down. I, I really don't like him, though, at six furlongs to be the top horse. I think Ravalo gets the money there. A real interesting horse is Regal Solo, a horse who won the Maryland Million a year ago. Was off all year and came back in the Maryland Million Sprint and ran a dynamite second. Should have been the winner that day. Uh, it took him a little while to get out and get, uh, get in the clear, and once he did, he came flying at the end. Uh, Regal Solo is kind of interesting. Will be a price. Second time off the layoff. You wonder if he might bounce, but as old horses go, I think an old horse has a hard time running big first off the layoff and can run in the shape a little bit better. Regal Solo, being a six-year-old, uh, might be improving to this race. I study a lot of video and I watch a lot of races back when I'm not really familiar with horses and I'll be uh honest to say I didn't know who Candy Manny e was because I don't follow uh, the allowance races very closely at Delaware Park during the regular meet. Uh so I went back and studied this horse, the Tony Dutrow trainee. He's really had gift-wrapped uh trips in the last couple. The uh, the rail has been open each time, uh you know, horses have drifted out, opened up the entire rail, and then he's finished up really strongly. He looks good visually, but he's had things handed to him. This will be a much tougher test. Uh, so I'm going to take a little stand against Candyman E, but the last three wins sure look impressive. I think Ravallo, the old class horse, is in good form right now, though. And, you know, he's he's got uh, 16 career wins, so he knows the way to the winner's circle.
2: You know, I I agree with you. There's just one thing that scares me. Uh, In six tries, he's never won a race at Laurel, while Regal Solo, uh, the horse you uh, alluded to uh, just a minute ago, loves this track. Six wins, three seconds, and three-thirds. So, again, while I think the the one to beat, there could be a chink in his armor.
5: It might be. He's stabled at Laurel, and he, and he trains there year-round for the most part, other than his trips out of town when he, when he leaves the home base. But, yeah, in 46 starts, he's only run there six times. So, you know, he he's run through conditions a long time ago, and he's only a stakes horse at this point in his career, and there's not that many opportunities for him at Laurel. Uh, but, you know, he was second in this race two years ago in 2009, uh, just missed in that event. So, you know, he's got a little history of running, you know, well enough. This is not the strongest the Francis Dash we've ever seen. It's not graded this year. The purse is 150 um, after they had to shelve the race, uh, you know, in the a, in a previous year or two. So it's come back this year without the grade to it and, it, and it looks like a listed stakes field. So it's not one of those grade one, grade two kind of uh, the Francis Dashes we've seen in the past, but that race will get its grade back and, and be strong once again once they start running it uh, consistently.
2: All right, well, we were talking about not being able to compare apples to apples in the last race. Uh, now we're coming up on a race at Hawthorne, and uh, I know last week they ran the Best of Ohio, which is the day of which is kind of the Breeders' Cup for all the Ohio bred horses, and uh, I think it's going to be the same uh, up at up at Hawthorne with the Illinois Brads. It was tough to pick a race in here, uh, so I, I I went with one that, that had 10 horses in it, and it is called the Lightning Jet Handicap. Uh, this is going to be $125,000 races. It's three and up. Some of these horses have met before. There's one horse, though, that just threw in, I don't understand how, this freaky. He jumped from a 73 buyer to a 114 buyer,
5: shrewd operator. Can you help me unscratch my head here, Jeremy? Uh, he just absolutely freaked. I mean, he ran off with, you know, solid fractions and kept going. When a horse is going to get a big buyer, it's typically going to be in a wire-to-wire race where they they set the early fractions because the buyers are predicated on the pace, um and then also the final time. So the 109 and four was huge, and then course, you know setting all the fractions in 45 flat, but that was a you know, massive performance. I, I, you know, I don't know if he can repeat that. The last time the horse won by daylight, you know, he got beat by 11 and a half. Next time out, uh, uh, and then the other the next time he won by two and a half, he got beat by 14 and three quarters. So pairing up victories has not necessarily been uh, part of the equation for Shrewd Operator. But when you're eight for 18 lifetime, there's not a whole lot to complain about. You know, he, his best race is awfully good. Um, if you believe in speed figures, obviously that 114 is going to take a ton of money. Um, I think you're going to look at a horse who's probably going to be underlaid on the tote board for his relative chances in the race. Um, you know, he's got a chance to win. There's no doubt, but there's some other horses that match up pretty evenly with him. But I think that 114 is going to trump any common sense that the handicappers have. And, uh, I think the horse will be, you know, vastly overbed in the race, but, uh, might still win. But I think you're going to be looking at close to an odds on favorite just off of that buyer alone. So would you look
2: for a horse? Again, these horses have had chances to run against each other a lot. I noticed that uh, he's faced uh, both uh, Mighty Rule and River Bear uh, on a, on a couple occasions, and they've been able to uh, to, to handle him. Can one of those uh, be that
5: upsetter? Since he'll probably be odds on. Yeah, I think Mighty Rule is the one that that has the best chance. If you're going to beat this horse, Shrewd Operator, it's probably going to be from behind because he has speed. You know, I mean, he's going to go flying out there. And he's coming off a freakishly good effort, so two horses going out there dueling with him, that kind of thing like that, you're probably not going to duel him in a submission and have anything left to hold off the closers. So he either wins wire-to-wire wire or somebody comes and get it, uh, gets him. Mighty Rule ran in this race last year in the Lightning Jet and ran a good third back when this horse was pretty much just speed. Uh, two years ago, Lightning Jet won this race essentially wire-to-wire, wire, or I should say Mighty Rule won the Lightning Jet stakes almost wire-to-wire wire in 2009. Well, what's happened to him is he's gotten a little bit older. Now he's an 8-year-old. You see as he's come back in 2011, he's much more of a stalker and finisher now than he used to be, and that's probably just age catching up with him, that he's not as fleet out of the gate. But that might work in his advantage this race, because I don't think you want to be out there banging heads uh, with shrewd operators. So that race, too, starts back on 5 on the turf, show that he could really relax and finish up nicely. He got a good prep last time. that wasn't a horrible effort, but it wasn't one of those kind of efforts where he was just absolutely flying and laid out pedal to the metal. So it's set up as a nice prep. After that race, two weeks later, he works a bullet, uh, half mile and 47. On the outside, Mighty Rule, I think, is a horse who can kind of stalk and finish up and might be the one to get it. And River Bear is the other one, I think. The deep closer last time was second in the uh, six furlong stakes to uh, Shrewd Operator last time, a distant second, but won this race last year. So River Bear is a horse who's won this race. Mighty Rule has won this race, and that's the great thing about these state-bred additions. You see a lot of these, like you were saying, apples to apples, each year they kind of come back, they're still in the game, they're still in the mix, and you see a lot of multiple and repeat champions in, the, in these divisions of the state-bred titles. So I, I think the, the one in the ten, the inside-outsider, the way to go in trying to knock off Shrewd Operator based on even just price alone, because I think you're going to be looking at odds on.
2: All right. Well, obviously uh, you, you were quite able to stuff ten pounds in a five-pound bag, Jeremy. I thank you very much. Um, I uh, uh, ask our listeners to, uh, to to check out Night School. It's easy enough to find on the internet, and so I'm coming into my final 16th of a mile here. Thank you very much for being on. That was Jeremy Plonk with us. Of course, Jeff Johnston from the Jockeys Guild. Uh, be sure to dial up Winning Ponies and get all of their great handicapping information to help you find the winners that are out there each and every day. So from high atop the grandstand, overlooking the turf course, past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Englehart. Thanks for tuning in to Winning Ponies. And remember, bet with your head, not over it.
1: Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.